Hey everybody, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about a wonderful company, Saddies, custom ammunition and gun works. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads lately. Uh, I've been using the Saddies Fatties uh, turkey loads, and I gotta tell you, they stop a bird dead. Chris uh, used a 20 gauge this year, I used a 12, Josh used a 20, and uh, my son actually killed one with a 410 this year with uh, one of the Saddies loads, and my god, do they put the birds down like crazy. Aaron Satterfield and his family have a wide-ranging array of ammunition, custom game loads, predator loads, turkey loads, the Saddies Fatty, and also they do gun work. Please get a hold of them with any questions that you have in terms of your custom ammunition needs. Go to saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com and tell them that Rick from Fueled by the Outdoors sent you. That was freaking awesome. This is my first public land buck. This is my second set of the season. I can't believe. Oh my gosh, I just heard him fall. I just heard him fall. Uh. I just shot my Kentucky buck. Fueled by the Outdoors, I'm your host Rick Cates, and this episode today is very special. It is one of our panel members from the Mobile Hunters Expo. This is uh, their way of killing and hunting big deer, so I'm going to shut up and let you guys listen. Here you go. Say welcome folks, I'm Jeremy Aaron, this is Daniel Lemon. It's an honor to be here y'all. We love to hunt, we're no different from y'all. So let's get started here. You know, we're going to do it from tag to brag. Daniel come up with that saying. I didn't, it's pretty sharp, but it's, it's so we're going to do a little bit of bragging on our history of hunting. So y'all know where we, our background of hunting, where we come from. I sort of done a little presentation here. It's going to be short and sweet of a little bit of ballast here at first on our hunting career. Get on here. So like I said, I'm from north central Mississippi. I grew up dog hunting, y'all. Dog hunting, shooting deer, running with a rifle. You know, it's, it's I've changed way from where well hunt now. <clears throat> but I, when I started out, no stand hunting. I probably didn't kill a deer out of the stand until I was 20 years old, because uh, I just didn't hunt that way. <clears throat> but over the years, this fall it'll be 40 years since I got to go out west on hunting public land. So in the last 40 years, I've hunted a lot of different places and been very fortunate to hunt different different areas and. And, and learn a lot oh. <clears throat> from cold to <laughs> every which style of hunting and I just love that y'all I don't like going back to the same place over and over I like going hunting new territory oh. I know a lot of folks are all different the, the, the thinking of what you like to hunt oh. but I seem like I've learned so much by hunting different areas meeting different different guys that hunt in different areas and stuff oh. and even Coming back to Mississippi hunting, y'all. The biggest buck I've ever killed in Mississippi, and I've hunted there my whole life. I killed the first one when I was eight years old. I killed this buck right there, 100 yards from my back door. I'd done hunting four states that year, 
and I come back home and kill the biggest deer in my backyard. So I guess the point of that is you never know where the big ones are a lot of times. I know a lot of these guys run cameras, and they're in parts of the country. They, they kill big deer. We're not in big deer country. But we're going to show you how we go to other places and kill big deer. Now let's get to Daniel, y'all. I'm going to introduce Daniel. I'm not going to let him introduce himself, y'all, because Daniel is 22 years old, y'all. Oh, turn it on here. Let's show it. 16 years old. I talked to him and his dad. I was like, hey, here's a place. Next state over. Y'all go hunt this. He killed his buck on the ground, 16 years old. How many of y'all ever went out of state and killed a 150-class-inch deer out of state at 16? So I knew then Daniel was very special. I knew he knew how to re-sign. He had a passion for love, for, for hunting. He killed his buck in, 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 Missouri, I mean in, in Kansas last year. Look at that. But what, what I really want to say right here, this next, what he done, he went to Montana last year by himself. Never been to Montana, y'all. Think about a 21-year-old kid, to what, 2,200-mile trip? Loaded up, went by himself. I was supposed to go with him. There, things fell apart, and I couldn't go. And I like, you go do this. You can do it. And he went and done this, you know. And he accomplished something I think very few ever done. I done it later on in life, but I didn't at that age by myself. He went and he killed a mule deer, and he killed an elk by himself the very first time he went, y'all. So that's where I, was, you know, I'm very proud of this young guy. And you're gonna see a lot more of him next few years because he's got a passion for it and he knows how to kill him. So now we're gonna get to how we're going to show y'all and hope y'all get something out of this that teach y'all how to do this. Oh, so let's, let's get started here and we'll, <clears throat> well basically you got to pick a place. Where do you want to go? You know, so many people asked us where, I want, I want to go, I want to go to another state, but I don't, I don't know where I want to go. Some of y'all may have done, went to several places, uh, but you got to start somewhere. I always tell everybody, you, you've got to start, the sky's the limit. Here's places we've been. This is just in the last three years, places we cyber scouted or places we've been. So we've been very fortunate. You've got to do a lot of traveling. Oh. <clears throat> so after we, you, you pick a spot, you know, that can be, you're up here, is it, is it, you know, yeah, yeah, it can be anywhere. Oh. It, most people that I ask and I've seen how they got started, it's most time it's a place they've always sort of lit a fire in them. They, they may want to go to like Kansas. They want to, may want to go to Iowa or word of mouth. You may have a coworker or something that said, hey, let's go, let's, let's go here. Or you may have kin folks. Them three, them three things is pretty much, I would say, 90% of the people that the first time they went out of, out of state, it was one of them three things. If somewhere they wanted to go or it was a word of mouth of a place or it was they had kin folks and the kin folks invited them to, to hunt there. So, all right, so we're picking a state. Just say we're picking a state we want to go. We're going to say like a, this Ohio. I've never, Daniel, neither one of us, I've never hunted Ohio, so let's say, say we want to go to Ohio. That's our state. That's where we want to go. <clears throat> all right, now I'll let Daniel say this. When do you want to go? Well, I mean, for the best chance of killing a mature deer is during the rut. M you know, most of the time, 100% of the time, unless unless you're good at, you know, finding early season stuff. But the rut or late season, they're on food. And, you know, a lot of people, they have to work around their job when going hunting, so you get a limited time, you know, off of work. I'm fortunate enough that what my work is, you know, sort of self-employed, so I can take off when I want to, stay gone as long as I need to. 
Um, but you have to, you know, schedule around your work. Uh, when you can get off, say that's a week during November, um, you know, best time, like you say, depending on where you go in the Midwest, first, second week of November, third week of November is good, but play the weather too, you know, because weather is a big factor in getting bucks up on their feet looking for does. Um, yeah, you want this? You sure? Okay. We got two completely different setups. They're similar, but they're different. I have a single cab pickup. As far as, you know, we're talking about how we stay and what we stay in. I have a single cab pickup with a camper shell on it. And I, you know, I'm fairly simple. I try to go minimal um, as far as gear. This was actually about a year ago. I had more stuff I've downgraded as far as gear that I take. I usually take two coolers, uh, clothes, uh, my saddle set up, my getting a tree. Um, I built this little cot mattress deal here. I can stick store stuff under it. I usually carry a couple, two or three uh, pairs of boots in case they get wet because it's hard to dry them out when you're on the road like that. And I always crawl through the back window to get in bed at night. I'm small enough I can crawl through there. But it will get cold back there. You got a complete, completely different setup. Like I said, doing this for several years, traveling, camping, a lot of time tent camping. I've got where I like staying in a vehicle. I done like Daniel, I started with a pickup, started with a camper. But when you get to hunting areas, it's teens and the teens at night and the single digits, it can get cold in the back of a camper. So I've really went to, in the last three years, I got me a Subaru, y'all, and I love it. I love my Subaru. He gets good gas mileage. Oh, that's one thing I like about it. He gets super good gas mileage, all-wheel drive, so I can go in mud, I can go in snow. I got plenty of room. I, I move my pack over. I got a bedroll on one side and all my gears on, on the left side of me, or I can put some of it in the front seat. Oh. But a lot of it, you sort of get to that. Daniel's in his early stages. He, he sees where he likes like to have an SUV, wouldn't he? You know, but you, you can go with what you got. Uh, basically, while we're saying the, the car camping, that's, if you stay in a motel room, you can do that, but that's a major expense, y'all. Think about staying a week. You know, in, a, in hunting season in a, property, in, a, in a prime area, they're going to charge. You'll have to pay $100 a night. These vehicles, when you get them set up like that, uh, will we look at our gas and our tag? Because you're going to eat wherever you're at, so I don't really figure that in. That's, that's your major expense is your gas, getting out there. Oh, and how we stay in them like that right there. Oh, so we got that. We got to our gear. We sort of wanted to show how our setup is. You know, Daniel's going to talk about that's, that's what we go in with. We got our camera system. You know, we self-film. We got all of our camera gear and everything in there. Oh, you got anything? Because he, he packs real efficient. Yeah, I try to keep everything tight in my pack, tight as I can, close to my body as I can. Um, like I say, I got my platform actually inside the pack, just at very minimal noise clanking together. Um, I try to keep everything quiet, tight. I just want to be able to slide in somewhere, um, super quiet with that. But uh, layering up as far as in my pack, when I get somewhere, 
steps are coming off first. I'm gonna reach in there, my saddle's on top. So I'm grabbing it, putting it on. Next thing is uh, my lineman rope. I got it. Um, after that, got my platform. I'll hook it on my side. Um, I'll take a step off, put it on a tree, take another step, put it on my left side usually. Um, I'll have another step in my hand and I'll throw the backpack on me and I'll go up in one trip. So when I get to the bottom of a tree, I start and I go to the top with everything. And when I come down, it's just pretty much a reverse for me. The last thing I'm putting on the tree is a camera base and arm and all that. So that's the first thing that's gonna come off and go in my pack just so everything's layered up, keeps everything nice and uh, eat where you can find it. And you'll know if you get to it and you're like, Oh, that's not where it's supposed to be. So it kind of misses. So I just like everything to be repeatable in in my pack where I don't have to think about where it's at. I reach and grab it, and there it is. Like I said, the main thing is being organized. Same thing in our vehicles. We know where everything's at in that vehicle. It's like living in a tiny home. Uh, <clears throat> all right, next, we're looking for that perfect spot. Uh, we know the state. Say we want to go to Ohio. We, we, we know the state, and we're wanting to key in on a spot now. You can't hunt the whole state. You can only hunt one, one spot at a time. So here's how we're going to show you how we key in on some certain things. I'm a river bottom hunter. Daniel will hunt river bottoms. He likes hunting the hills too. Here's a topo that I look for. This is in Mississippi, but I'm looking for this. This, this Here's a river. Here's a navigable river right here. I look for that. You know, I pull up the state and I start looking for rivers and lakes. All right, I'm looking for boat ramps where I can put in. That's, that's the key of what I look for when, I, when I'm cyber scout. When I'm at home, I know I want to go to Ohio, uh, I really cyber scout look like that right there. Uh, and then here's another thing I look for. A lot of folks think, well, a river bottom is flat. No, they're not. They may have a foot or two elevation change in it. I'll look for that, y'all. See right here, these topo. See how this little bit of elevation change, that little high spot right there? Them are unique features for me I, I look for on a map. These little high spots in a ridge in the bottom, it's just like a ridge. Deer make scrapes on them. One thing, species of trees will change if you get a foot or two elevation in the bottom. You will have more mass crop, more oaks and stuff like that that'll come up on these higher elevations. A lot of times, always along the, the, of, of, a, of a creek, river, the highest ground is going to be right next to it because when that river overflows, it dumps that sediment out. It's going to be higher right there next to the creek. And most of the time it's lower out from it. You wouldn't think it'd be like it. You think it'd just get higher and higher the further away it got. But a lot of times in flat river bottom, you'll have high spots and like this little high ridge here. I really look for things like that. This feature right up here next, I think a lot of you has never thought about this. And it took years for us to learn this right here. You got these bends in the river. When a buck, a mature buck's chasing a doe, he knows when she's finna come in. It may be another 10 hours or so. He'll hammer up in these points because he's got water on three sides. So all he's got to do is keep her in there, and he knows time's on his side. I killed a buck right there, and I killed a buck right there. They're coming in. It was going into it, and this one was coming out. Say a lake with a finger points out in it. It's got land that runs out in it. Big, mature buck love pushing those out on stuff like that. And now they're hard to hunt because you may hunt them three or four days and not see nothing. But a lot of times, that's where you kill big deer. They push them into spots like that. So that's the little thing where I really look for. Um, here's an area. 
this is Buffalo County, Wisconsin. I have honey there. But here, this, I just, I, this caught my eye. I sort of wanted sort of what I look for. This is a navigable river. You can go up the Chippewa River. Here's the old river. The road is way out here. So all this is cut off. Look at this pinch point right here, how narrow this is. And then you've got this old run that comes up through here, this chute. Anywhere you can look at a map. To me, river bottom's easy hunting. A lot of folks say, well, what you look for? I, I look for features like that. Uh, you always say about transition. Well, part of it's the water. The water transition from the timberland. To me, that's a natural barrier. They, they will cross it, but not naturally. You know, most time, they're going to go up beside it. So to me, I would look right here. If you really blow this up, there's a beaver dam right there. Look how tight that pinch point is. That's just things I look for in river bottoms to start. You know, like we're right now, we're at a starting point. We want to know where we want to start when we go to that state. That's just some things that I, that I look at. Here's one. Daniel, this is, this is his. He killed a deer on this right here and let you show you these features here. All right, this right here was a spot, and, and I'm a, I like heels just because what I grew up hunting was rolling heels, so I learned that. I learned how to kind of play that, play wind in it. What we had right here, we had this big wide open, uh, it almost was like a CRP field, but they kept it cut short for some reason. Um, but right here, this is a very steep drain, and I walked up this, and there was no deer trails crossing this at all. But we had a big deer trail coming around right here and cutting back, and there was a big thicket over here. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, we got does over here, more than likely. We got a trail that comes around and loops the bottom side of this. So with a wind pushing this way, you're going to have bucks wanting to cruise the bottom side of this thicket. But, you know, there could be one, he could skirt around you for whatever reason. Uh-oh. But uh, we had this super steep drain. So in my mind, you know, a big deer, he's not going to want to be out in the open. So right here, we had a big trail coming this way, and we had another trail cutting around and coming in right here. And I had a wind this one day. It was blowing right over the top of this bottom trail, and I got right over it. And at like, I think it was nine something, nine o'clock that morning, I had a deer come up, good deer come around. He come around right below me. He was downwind, but I was up high enough. My wind was blowing over him and the wind was like this. So he was cutting that corner of that wind and he was gonna come around here and go right up the backside of where this thicket was, scent checking. So I was planning for him to come scent check that thicket. But when you find a steep drain like this, or any kind of funnel this is what i call a funnel pinch point you know that's that's just a tight spot for deer to want to come come through and you know a lot of people they want to they want to be out they want to be out to see the fields be on the edge of that but a big deer he knows how to stay alive has to keep out of sight so he's going to hang this bottom side with the wind in his favor so this is just a example of what i look for and that could change from different places uh, that you hunt too. You know, after he killed that deer there, I got looking at this topo, cause like I said, I'm not a hill hunter, but that's a pinch point. To me, that don't look like a pinch point until I realized what he had done and we looked at the terrain. Cause that, that coming up through there, them deer went across it, it was steep. It was a deep, deep cut. But right up here, it was flat. And them deer were just coming right around the top of it. But, but, but you start learning features like that by looking at maps, you're like, okay, look how steep that is, and look how it generally is out, and you've got to open that they're not going to go across. So that's, that's one reason I want to show that is 
You look for things. Over time, you learn things like that. But remember that, and that when you cyber scout, and that'll, that'll help you. All right, we found the spot. A lot of times when we find a spot that looks good on the map, that's our starting point. Very seldom we always kill a deer right there. That's where we start and we put boots on the ground. Daniel's got a very unique way how he scouts that I want him to tell you about. I think you'll learn from him because I did. So when I get to a place, like I say, I've cyber scouted, I've seen kind of what I'm wanting to look for, and I'll pick several spots to go check when I get somewhere. The first day that I get there, I'm scouting. I am not worried about climbing a tree. I am scouting that entire day. And I am looking for three spots. I want, a, I want my number one spot that I have found the best sign that looks good to me. I'm like, okay, this right here, I can play, get a wind that a mature buck is gonna wanna come through. And this is, this is my number one. My number two spot, you know, pretty good second chance spot or number two spot um but i'm i'm playing all three of these spots because i look for three spots and i'm playing wind so when every day that i'm hunting i'm always able to hunt with any kind of wind i have and i'm always wanting to get to that number one spot like a if any of y'all watched our channel my kansas buck that i killed this past year i had found three spots and that was my number one spot i wanted to be in that spot but I had to wait two days to be able to get in there because I seen a wind switch was coming. So I was having to hunt another spot where I had a south wind. And one day, the day that I was waiting on, we had a front coming in. It hit about 10 o'clock that morning. And when that wind started switching, I jumped down and run over there and got in there at like 12-something. And then at 2 o'clock, that buck come in. But that was my number one spot that I wanted to be in. And uh, so I, I like my three, three spots. Yeah, basically, what I get out of his three spots, he finds a, a, B, and C, or one, two, three. But they're for a different wind direction. Yeah, but he's got that one prime one that is ready. All right, now we're going to go to the best time to be in a tree. We found the tree. We found the tree we want to be in. With We know what wind we want. Here's the thing that I've learned over the years. I, Always, if you watch very my videos, I say I got three key factors I'm looking for. The rut's one of them. So if you're going during the rut, you know you got that one. The second one is weather. We figured up the bucks we killed the last couple of years. 80 to 90 percent of them has been killed the day of the front, the day after the front, or the second day after the front. Them three days is the most productive on mature deer we've seen. You know, we went back and sort of looked at what we've killed. Them three days really was big. And then our third phase is the moon. The moon gives you what time of day you better be in that tree. Uh, you're, you're there hunting them. Most time when you found that good spot, they're all day sets. But you really know if you're on a new moon or a, 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 a major or minor. Does most of y'all know, do y'all understand what the major or minor move time is? Majors when the moon's straight up, the moon's straight down. You know, some folks call it a, a full moon, a, a red moon. I, I go when it's straight up, straight down. Miners when it's rising and when it's setting. The moon cycle is basically 25 hours, so it's, it's an hour later every day, generally 45 to 50 minutes later every day. So it means it's going to be, it's going to stagger. It's going to start getting later and later. Or I'm saying is, say uh, we had a front come through. Daniel's found his number one spot. He knows where he wants to be. The fronts come through. 
Our move time is that three days after a full moon, you get up that morning, that moon is like at two o'clock. So you know in about two or three hours, we finna have a minor. That is the time I really like, y'all. If, if that falls during the rut, that full moon, then a few days right after that, that full moon, it's, it seemed like we've had the best. If I could pick it and pick all that, that's what I would look for. But like I said, them three factors, figure them in. I have killed deer with two of them. I killed a good buck in Oklahoma, Oklahoma a couple of years ago. It was, say, the third week of October. No rut, but I had two of them. Had a major front come through and had a move time that morning and killed that buck he was up on his feet. So that's why everybody say, you ain't got to have all three, but when you have all three, you better be in the woods. A lot of times when I'm working around home and stuff like that, you guys, it's, that's, you got jobs and stuff, and you got, I prioritize my time with these three phases right here. Uh, say if I can go, I can go hunting today, but I got something I got to do. So I really look at the moon chart and see, hey, is it going to be better this morning or is it going to be better in the evening? Which of the ones is better? I'm going to hunt them, but I'm going to do my chores the other time. So I really like saying that to sort of get y'all thinking because there's better times to be in the woods. You know, a lot of guys say, well, I ain't got but certain times I can hunt. Well, go hunt then. But I'm just telling you, what I've learned over the years, there are better times than not. And we really key in on them, especially how I'm rigged up, Daniel's sort of rigged up now, Say if we was wanting to go to Ohio, and we knew the rut was say the fifth of November, we could go three or four days early, but it's hot. We I, I don't waste my time going early. I, we sit back and wait on them fronts. I know a lot of folks is not you, you can't do that. You got to go where you work. But it took me 30 years to get where I can do what I do now. But I really put a lot of emphasis on being there at the right time. I hit the wrong button. Let's get here. All right. After we've done all that, we got successful. We got a buck on the ground. Here's Daniel's specialty here. Now, a lot of places, um, when you're way back in there, you don't feel like dragging a deer out. You need to debone him. You need to pack him out. So I start, I just, you know, I'll. Take the deer, get him on his side, I'll rip it down the back, take out a back strap, cord him out, I'll hang a quarter up, debone it, uh, keep it clean. I'm not big on mounting deer, so, you know, a lot of people, some people want to mount a good deer. It's fairly simple to do when you want to get the cape of a deer. You split him all the way up the back, all the way to the back of the neck. And then it's, it's basically caping a deer out hanging up, but just on the ground. The only difference is you split him up the back, you peel the hide around the side, both sides, you know, it's fairly easy. If you're on an out-of-state trip, you need salt, salt to keep the hide, you know, good until you can get it back home since you can't freeze it. Um, but it's just pretty simple to do if you want to mount a deer, just salt. You know, cape it out. That'll keep it good until you can get it home, get it to your taxidermist. Well, another thing is there are a lot of laws on CWD now. When you get out of state, you, you, the best rule of thumb we use, we bone them out so we haven't got any bone. We cut the skulls off the skull plate and clean them, and you're pretty much good in most states across the state line because they will confiscate your, your antlers and horns and everything with the CWD now. Um, so you really need to 
Well, I, I will. Like, when we do it like that, you basically cover everywhere. So, <clears throat> I basically, after we've done all that, one thing I'd say for y'all guys that's got kids and stuff like that, there are a lot of good youth hunts all over this country to travel, y'all. There's some states that offer discounts for a kid's license. I'm, I'm pretty sure Idaho, if it's still like it was, you, you get a tag in Idaho, your kid can go on a resident price. Oh. This is one of my daughters, my middle daughter. I took her to Montana two years ago. She graduated college. She was finna get out on her own. She loved, always loved to hunt with me. We went and spent two weeks out there and had a ball. And I, she won't never forget that. So don't forget your kids, y'all. Really, really get them involved in this traveling, too. Oh. And another thing that's very important for me is this one right here. This is my wife, y'all. I've been married 32 years and very proud of it for much hunting as I've done and still married and raised three kids. Because there is a fine line of doing that, y'all. Because <laughs> mama can get real ill when you're gone all the time. Oh, so. But uh, like I said, she's got hunting with me in the last probably 10 years. Oh, and she loves it. So <sighs> that's pretty much what we got. We want to do a Q&A now. This is what I love. I love you asking me questions. So, Jeremy, I'm going to start just with something real quick. Um, so we, we hunt in all state a whole bunch too. And in the past, see, Daniel, I'm a little bit different. I like mounting deer, as you can see behind me. It doesn't matter how small they are. If it's a mature buck, typically I'll, I'll scrounge some money up to go get it mounted. Um, one issue that a lot of guys have when they're going out of state is, again, the cape and the deer off the face. Because you can't just cut it at the head. You have to have the cape completely off the head, the face and everything, and then cut a clean skull plate off because of CWD. Nearly all states require that or you'll get in an absolute heap of trouble if you bring back a deer to your taxes in your home state with a full head intact. In the past, I'd always, and when I kill a deer, like this deer right here, this Iowa deer, and that velvet buck as well, I would cape it up to the back of the head and I'd find a local tax service to the area to cape it off the face because I was too worried about cutting the eyes out and everything else. After that, I had a really good buddy of mine who's a tax service. He's done some deer for me. And he told me, he's like, go get, if you shoot a small buck, you shoot a buck, maybe you're not going to mount. Practice caping it off the face so you feel comfortable doing it yourself so you can do it anywhere in the country. And that's helped me out tremendously. It helped me out tremendously this year in a couple of different bucks out of state where I caped it off myself. I didn't have to go pay a tax service to go do it. I didn't have to carry about any of the logistics. And it's super easy. There's plenty of good videos. Ben uh, Mears has an unbelievable video on YouTube for you to learn how to cape a deer off the face so you have a clean hide, you can cut the skull plate off, and you can bring them back 100%. You don't have to worry about tax service doing it. So that's just something that's huge. And, again, a big deal if somebody's going out of state and they kill a buck that they want to get mounted. It's a really big deal. Also, real quick, kind of getting uh, to some Q&As here. After everything that they've covered and some of the demonstrations, what questions do y'all have? You can raise your hand. I'll come around with a microphone, or I may have to have you guys walk to me if you're sitting down, and uh, we'll get those questions asked, okay? When you hunt in the river edge and, and you're looking at oxbows to hunt, and you were saying that the bucks will push the does in there, uh, what specifically are you looking for to determine which oxbow you're going to hunt? Well, like that in a while ago, there was two or three of them there. You, you, a lot of times I may go in there early and see what kind of sign. You, that in a while ago, there was, like, there was two big ones. So it, you basically had a 50-50 chance. There's not really nothing I'm looking for. I'm just looking for that unique feature. Uh, I said, I, I set back that place and hunted out from it the day before, and I seen it was water, had them pushed up to it. It's really where I learned that place at. Because uh, they was coming upside and they kept going, and the does kept going up in there. Uh, 
<clears throat> and then I had a mature buck to come in there and do it too. So it's most time you don't find that many hairpins like that picture was. Uh, you just try finding that. Uh, you know, most time what I've seen is like a point out on a on a lake. Most time it's just one. So you're not. It's it's not really not what I'm, what's about it. It's just it's how the unique features of it, how it's laid out. Hey everybody, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about a wonderful company, Saddies, custom ammunition and gun works. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads lately. Uh, I've been using the Saddies Fatties uh, turkey loads, and I gotta tell you, they stop a bird dead. Chris uh, used a 20 gauge this year, I used the 12, Josh used a 20, and uh, my son actually killed one with a 410 this year with uh, one of the Saddies loads, and my god, do they put the birds down like crazy. Aaron Satterfield and his family have a wide-ranging array of ammunition, custom game loads, predator loads, turkey loads, the Saddies Fatty, and also they do gun work. Please get a hold of them with any questions that you have in terms of your custom ammunition needs. Go to saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com and tell them that Rick from Fueled by the Outdoors sent you. Who else has a question? You can raise your hand. I'll come to you. All right, Jeremy, I've got a question for you. So one thing I've been wanting to talk to you for a while after having you on the podcast is talking about finding your niche and replicating your niche in other states. So you've always talked about hunting river bombs, and you mentioned this on the podcast uh, talking about, you know, you love river bombs. So pretty much any state you go to, if you're hunting whitetails, you try to find river bombs, go hunt. I want you to talk about the idea of finding what you're comfortable hunting terrain-wise and habitat-wise, and when you go out of state, maybe try to find an area that you would be comfortable hunting in that has the same kind of terrain, even though it may be in a completely different state. That's true. You, you heard me say I like river bottoms. Y'all know your niche. You know what you're good at. Mimic it. You Because know, you know, a river bottom in Mississippi is the same type in Missouri, the same type in Iowa. It's going to have the same characteristics uh, so, like, uh, as, as mimic what you know. You what you know. What you what you. If you're a good hunter and you kill mature bucks, there's there's some type of terrain you really like. Like I said, Daniel's pretty, a lot broader than I am. He likes hills and he likes hundred bottoms too. So I, that's what I basically say. Hey, mimic mimic what you're good at. Uh, you you can replicate to. And if you ever do it a time or two, I promise you that confidence level. Yesterday when we done that panel, everybody kept saying confidence. If you're confident in what you're doing, you can do it. Because you know you can. It's in the back of your mind. It's not no failure there. You're like, I can do this. It may take a little while. It, it, it may, you may get in a little rut or so, but you just stay with it, stay with it, and I promise you it'll happen. Now, on the flip side of having your niche, is there ever times you like to get out of your comfort zone and go hunt areas that maybe it's not necessarily your niche, but you want to get a different experience? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you want to challenge every once in a while. you you got to challenge yourself. Oh. Uh, after you, after you, and like I said, I do, I do stumble in the hills every once in a while. Get a lot of opportunities. Folks say, hey, man, you need to come hunt West Virginia. I've heard that too many times in the mountains in West Virginia. I'm like, man, I'm a flatlander. I'm 56 years old now. I'm not in my, I said, this is Daniel. I'm like, Daniel, you need to go hunt with them. So, yes, but I still do because it's a learning process. It's, it's, I've always said this hunting like this is like the first trip you go is like when you go into the first grade. But when you go through the 12th grade, look at the difference of what you know. Let's just say like years of hunting what knowledge you build it's just a building process of it uh, 
Now, I want you to talk about sanctuaries, too. I want to talk about when it comes to you, you know, you're hunting river bombs or hunting habitat, how important finding a sanctuary close by that could hold those bucks that give you an opportunity to catch them coming off that sanctuary when you're hunting. He wants me to give up my secrets that I did on the thing. There's some, there's some things that I've learned over the years. Think about what's a mature buck learned over the years to survive? Like he said, a sanctuary. I look for places you cannot hunt. That may be a state park there's, there's no hunting. That may be a refuge that you can't hunt. I'm not saying I'm hunting it, but I'm finding borders that I can hunt around them. I do really look for that. <laughs> I, I hate to say that, but, and you gotta really hunt them during a the rut because they won't hardly come off of them places unless a doe leads them off. But I have killed some real big deer doing that. And, and, and that's a key feature. When I start looking at my rivers and stuff, I start looking at what's around it. And it could be a big private hunting club that manages their deer that you know they don't shoot nothing but big deer. I have backed up in corners of their property or get right on their property line or something. So, you know, that's just something to look for. Uh, I want to talk about from a southern hunter's perspective, hunting the Midwest. How does your hunting experience in the southeast, and maybe Daniel, you can talk about this. How does your hunting experience in the southeast, specifically like Mississippi, how does that apply to other states you go to? And also, what are challenging experiences you've had that maybe you haven't really experienced specifically at hunting your home state? Well, the pressure in the south and the way the deer act in the south, going out of state somewhere else, the deer act completely different, especially north. Um, they're completely different and as far as what I've found and looked for the deer have traveled the same sort of um, to what I've found you know it's a little different ground a little different country but you know they still travel the same and act similar the similar to what they do at home except at home they look up at you and they run you know in the Midwest they may look up at you and keep walking they don't even think nothing about it uh, but challenges, you know, some days it's just not your day. That's the only challenge I've found, really, um, as far as from home to the Midwest. Sometimes you just can't play it right. Jeremy, what, what's your thoughts on that? I want to answer that one. I, I have a lot of folks ask me, like, where's the hardest place you ever hunt? i like, have you ever hunted in the south? Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee. The reason is thick country, long gun season. Our area, they run dogs. Them deer are just spooky. I can remember I killed one of, the, one of the deer I killed in Iowa one time. I was in a spot. I couldn't get, my platform was this tall, this high. And I was in a thick spot, and I looked up, and that deer went 20 yards from me, and he was coming on a mission right by me. And i like, man, there's no way I'm going to move without him seeing me. And I knew I had to, I just grabbed my bow and picked it up. He just looked at me and never broke stride and just kept walking. And I shot him about here, that tree, that, that deer right there. And I'm like, man, a Mississippi deer, when I moved that bow, he'd looked at me, he'd have been right the other way. So, <laughs> these boys, you're stated from the Midwest. They are in a super good buck country. But i like, y'all boys come to the south and hunt. <laughs> it's, it's just different. So, if you're in, used to hunting tough deer and you get out in these deer that's not, you know, I shot a deer a couple years ago. He smelled me and looked at me. I, he was standing out there, and he just looked at me, and just he like, because here's what I think about that. That open country, think about it. They're used to something, something going to catch them. They got to get close to them. So if they're standing out there 50 yards, and they're looking at you, they're like, you're not going to get me. But a deer in the south, 
they see they're going to be gone. They don't, they don't look to – so. What other questions we got here? So, Jeremy, after all the – Hey, Jeremy, after all the years, like let's say you picked an area, you're going to go scout, or maybe you're, you've already gone there, you're hunting. How do you know the line of I'm going to pull the plug on this or, you know, I've just got to keep pushing to get there because I feel like a lot of times I, I kind of ride places out that, you know, <laughs> you, you learn from experience. I, I got a primer from last year. I went to Wisconsin and didn't plan on staying, but just a few days, I fooled around and went back three different times <laughs> and didn't kill nothing. So I learned, you, you got to set yourself a, a goal. But one thing I learned about going in an area, because a lot of times we hunt sign. We're not hunting a deer. We're hunting sign, and if a mature deer comes through, we finish shooting. Because most of the time we don't have pictures of him. We're, we're setting up on sign, and what we've learned is, Get in there. My, what I prefer is get in there, say at lunch, scout, scout, find my spot. I'm gonna hang, set all day, set, set to dark. I'm gonna leave my set up. Cause I can get out quiet. I can slip back in the next morning, get in, and I'm gonna hunt it next morning. If I don't do no good by lunch, I may get down and scout a little further, do the same thing. So a lot of times I don't like hunting a place very long, but now if I've seen a big deer in there and I know there's a big deer in there, I will stay longer. Oh, and I, one of the deer I killed now was several years ago. It was like the fifth day I stayed in there and killed a deer in there. Oh, and that's probably the first one I'd ever killed staying that long in one spot on traveling. But I knew he was, I knew there was a big deer in there. And he, and he finally come back through right at dark one day. Jeremy, what do you think is one of the uh, biggest mistakes guys make when they're trying to do an out-of-state hunt? and maybe they find it overwhelming or they just don't see success on that very first trip. What do you think potentially is a, a big mistake a lot of guys do on their very first trip out of state for whitetails? Well, like I said, it's a learning curve. So you don't, you're not, you know, don't have your expectations too high. You know, I, I've heard a lot of guys say, man, I, I don't want to buy this high-dollar license if I'm not guaranteed to kill a big deer. And I'm like, you can't go in there looking at it like that. Oh, it's a learning process. The way I look at it when I go to some of these states, I know they're big deer in. I look at it, there's an opportunity. I know that opportunity is way bigger than me staying at home hunting that time of year. So I look at it, it's just an opportunity, you know, for them making a mistake. A lot of them got, don't set your expectations too high. Oh. But a lot of guys I really talked to, I've talked to three or four of them at this, this, this show here, they're like, man, we went somewhere and we didn't kill them. We had a ball. And a lot of it was, a couple of them was father and sons. And I said, hey, do that. Man, that's, that's family time you won't never forget. Uh, but you learn from it. I look at it a lot like batting. Uh, you know, I love playing, playing ball and stuff. You get in a rut, change, adjust. Don't keep doing the same thing. Uh, you, you just got to learn to go with the flow and, and change. So in addition to that question, talking about changing, um, at what point, if you're hunting out of state, what is your thought process on a guy going back to the same piece of public year over year and continuing to learn it versus bouncing around to different areas even if he wants to go back to that same state? I don't like going to the same place over a couple of times. Some guys may want to stay and keep learning it and learning it and learning it. we got a place in Arkansas we hunt a lot. And we've hunted, you know, I've probably hunted 15 out of the last 20 years. 
what I've run into is the same place is not good year after year over there. So you're, you're going back and relearning different areas. The, really the only reason we hunt that is because it's a rut and there's big deer in that area at a time that's not good nowhere else. So I, I think that's what leads us back to that place. But, uh, <clears throat> you know. But with that, I mean, for the average guy, I mean, do you see any disadvantage of hunting the same spot, the same piece of public year over year? Or is it one of those things that, you know, maybe you're not seeing success there, it's worth picking up and going, even if it's a county or two over to a different piece of public land? I guess I've got that philosophy of I went into places and, and killed a big deer in a day or two. I'll look at, man, if I stay here and I'm not doing any good, or even if I do just kill a, a mediocre deer in a place, i like, what else is over here that, that I'm missing? That, that, that's my mentality is I hate to hunt a place very many times. I will hunt a place if I kill a big deer and I go back and kill another big deer. I'll probably hunt it another time or two, like I told you on the podcast. With this YouTube channel, you think a little bit different. Uh, I, I've killed two big deer in the last two years in a place that's a sleeper that I like. I better stay out of it this year because folks are going to pick it up off of YouTube because it's very unique if you know what you're looking for. <laughs> Who else has questions over here in the, in the crowd? You can raise your hand. I'll walk up to you. All right, Daniel, I want to ask you this. So you're in a different situation than Jeremy. You know, Jeremy's married. He's got kids. You, for, to my knowledge, you don't have any of that, right? You're a single guy like myself, you know, bachelor. You kind of do what you want a little bit as long as you pay your bills. What have you started to love about hunting out of state? Because you've only been doing it for, I think you said, three years now. What, what is getting you excited about going out of state and leaving your home state of Mississippi and having different experiences in other parts of the country? A change of pace. I'm not working all summer because right now I'm, I'm, I'm working, looking forward to – that's my goal in a year. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go have fun for a week, two week, three weeks. I'm ready to get on the road, uh, see new country, and learn, learn new things. I mean, that's that's what I love about traveling and hunting. I'm always learning. When I leave the house, I'm like, well, fixing to learn a lot. I'm gonna learn a lot more by the time I come back than what I knew when I left. So it's just just learning new things and things that you enjoy doing. You like learning stuff like that. That's that's what I look forward to. Jeremy, I, I want to ask you a similar question. What gets you excited about hunting out of state and, and continuing to have these different experiences that, you know, a lot of guys look at what you're doing, like, man, I would love to just do one of those out-of-state trips. And, you know, because of career paths and everything, you're being able to make this happen year over year. You've been doing it for a long time. What gets you still excited about leaving the home state of Mississippi to try to have some of these experiences in some of these states, especially there's still a lot of states you have yet untouched that I think you're still looking forward to going to? Uh, like I said, just hunting new ground. There's just something about scouting a new area, boots on the ground. I get pretty much as much excitement out of just scouting new ground and many find that fresh sign and you're like, man, I want to hunt this right here. But another thing from going out of state, I've always been self-employed and when I was around home, you get in a tree in the morning, mid-morning, you know, it's just sort of changing the subject. You got something to do. You can't focus. When I get out of state, I let everything else go. I'm there to hunt. I'm there to, I mean, when I go out of state hunting, I look at it like work. You know, I've always been self-employed. I always pride myself in working hard. I'm finna give it 110%. I don't lay around and sleep because I'm like, hey, I can sleep at the house. You don't get to do this very much. So really bust your butt, work hard, and I promise the rewards are there. 
there the sky's the limit of what you can get out of this now i'm curious on getting both of y'all's takes on how you go about researching and finding different pieces of pup to go and, and target what is a few things that maybe you do when it comes to researching public ground that you're wanting to you know go and get hunt i'm not asking for specific examples but like in the past one thing i've done that's helped out really really well is not always looking on social media because social media can be very deceptive because some of the best places to hunt for big bucks nobody talks about the guys that hunt those and kills deer they don't ever post on social media and it seems like you can talk to local regional biologists. They're pretty willing to give up a lot of information and stuff like that. But what do you typically do if you're interested in going to a certain region of a state? What do you typically do in order to try to figure out what's going to be your best option for going there? A lot of it goes with my experience, my contacts I've made over the years. That's one thing. Another thing is not hunting. It's the contacts you make. I rely now a lot of places I go. It's, it's just things I've heard from people say. They may not have been directly telling me about it, but I'm picking up on, they say, man, we seen big deer on this place right here. Oh, and stuff like that, but, and a lot of word of mouth. I, I do a lot more of that now than just, now years ago I used to set a computer for hours and hours and I'd wake up in the middle of the night this time of year and I'm like, where do I wanna go? What, what looks good to me? And I've done my time in cyber scouting. I've done a lot of it, but now I do more, I rely on sources. I've got enough folks that come in on the show, and I, 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 you know, I love talking to hunters, just like today here. I love talking to guys like y'all, and I'm learning. I'm learning from y'all. Uh, you, you may say, I see, you know, you have a picture of a big deer, and I was like, hey, what date did you kill that deer? Uh, there's a lot of things. Is <laughs> another thing we talked to today about the fronts. When these fronts come through, I'm on apps in, in Kansas. I'm on apps in, you know, group apps in Facebook. You can watch when these fronts come across the country when they're killing deer. Because to me, the time is, you may be in a place where your big deer is at, but there's certain times you can kill it. I pay a lot of attention to that, y'all. I, I just, I, I learn from and I, you know, I ask, but I'm soaking all that in. Well, it's like Daniel said, it's, everything's a learning process. Every day you get up and it's hunting, we, we always say on our videos, we want our next one better than the one we just put out. We want to make it better. And our hunting's the same way. Now, I, I want to I throw this question back at you because I want to dive in a little bit more on this topic about finding and researching areas outside of your home state. So I know now you do a lot of stuff word of mouth. Back when you were doing a lot more cyber scouting, what was some of the more important details you were looking for when researching a piece of public land or a region of state to go to? Well, a lot of it I showed there on a video a while ago is my river bottoms. I'm, I'm, I can pull a map up of that state. First thing I'm looking for is navigable rivers or lakes. That's my key features. Now, big bucks, you, I do a lot of research on you can read, you can, uh, you know, you, Onyx has got a, an app of Boone and Crockett's. I, I pay a lot of attention to that, y'all. Hey, if you want to kill big deer, you got to be where big deer's at. And there's some areas, there's an area in Kentucky up here that's in an odd corner up here that you wouldn't think that's a big Boone and Crockett area, but there's a lot of entries been there. I, I pay attention to stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, th there's a lot of things you can, You'd be surprised you pay attention to that you pick up on like, oh man, you start putting all these things, puzzles together, it adds up. Daniel, I want to kind of flip that back towards you a little bit. Again, only now been doing this about three years going into the fourth season now. 
what has been some of those things that you've learned over the last few years when it comes to like finding areas? Because I'm sure you know y'all kind of hunt some of the same areas, but you kind of go off on your own as well. What's some of those big takeaways you've learned when it comes to finding different pieces of public land to go and target? A lot of it's just looking for what I know. Um, you know, a lot of places, like he said, word of mouth, places he's told me about, like, hey, this is a good area. And then I look for just what I know, what's familiar ground to me um, as far as how I would know a deer would travel in that area. And that's what I go look and scout those spots for. Um, pretty much just that's all I ever look for is what I know. All right, guys, I want to turn back to the crowd here. Who has any questions? You raise your hand if you want to ask these guys any questions specifically on any of these topics or anything different. So y'all touched a lot on the terrain features and what are y'all looking for when you go on a uh, state scouting. How important is knowing the native habitat as it differs from state to state when you're out and looking for mature deer? That's a good question because the habitat and their food source is different. Uh, I don't know why, a lot of it I just learned it from being there. Uh, I don't know really how you'd learn it. I guess I'm gonna say a prime example that I never would have thought about this till I seen it when I was in Oklahoma a couple of years ago. Had a big major frost come through in cold weather. The cottonwood trees, I've been in Montana and out west a bunch. I've never seen a deer eat a cottonwood leaf, but it was something about that frost and I don't know if it was a sugar content in them leaves, them deer was picking up cottonwood leaves like as acorns. And after that, I paid a lot of attention to that. Uh, but a lot of times you learn little things by people. They, you, you, that's where I pay attention. I say, hey, what's, what, what you're feeding on? What, what are you hunting? Uh, now, that's how I've learned a lot of it. It's just being observant. And then and I'll start asking questions to guys uh, that hunt that area. That's why I love to have a contact in the area. Uh, anytime somebody comes up from a different area, man, I'll swap numbers with them. i say, hey, let's, let's stay in touch. I don't want you to tell me where to hunt. I, a lot of it's the information I can get from him like that. Hey, what, you know, I've got some guys up in the north. Their acorns are dropped up in September. And I say, hey, y'all, y'all's acorns dropping yet? And they say, yeah. So a lot of times you may pick up, you know. I, I use a, <laughs> I've learned it's a lot easier to learn it from somebody else than learn it trial and error. You can do it trial and error, and I've done a lot of it. You know, it's just like Daniel a while ago, he's talking about places to go. All the places I've went, good places, I say, hey, you need to go hunt them. You need to go hunt them. His Kansas buck last year, I'd killed a buck in there three or four years ago, and I'm like, hey, you need to put in and hunt this area. He didn't kill it in the same spot, but he went to the same area. So a lot of times you'd be surprised, y'all, what you can pick up from other people. Does anyone else have another question? All right, to get to a point of wrapping up, Jeremy and Daniel, um, if somebody wants, if anybody here, anyone listening to this episode wants to be able to go out and have success for their first time ever out of state, or maybe they've done it a few times, but they haven't been able to connect yet on a mature buck, what would be one of the number one things you tell them to really pay attention to going into this season and really set those standards, like you said correctly, don't overset your standards, to be able to go out and try to have success, you know, on an out-of-state hunt this year? You know, I, I guess I look at everything from a southern guy going north or going midwest. 
you can have a fair hunt in the Midwest and it'll be an awesome hunt for a southern boy. <laughs> so that's why I say don't set your standards too high, but you get out there, you're going to stumble into some good places, y'all. I had a guy come in the other day on the show, and he, I mean, he messaged me. He only messaged me, man, I thank you for getting me out of my comfort zone. I went to Kansas last year, and he said the second day and I was in a tree, he said I had a 180-inch deer come by. I've never been by the He said, I missed him. He said, I ain't never seen a deer like that. He shook me so, but he said, thank you for, I guess what I'm saying, there's areas out there that you're going to stumble in that you're going to fall into a gold mine like you, but there are going to be some gar holes too. <laughs> you just got to wade through them. But if, basically, if you've been two years and you haven't had success, change, like I said, adjust. Go to a different place. Pick a different state. You're eventually going to get in some of these good areas. Like I said, you, it's, it's common sense. Learn hunt. One thing I say about a traveling hunter, you need to be successful in your own area first. You, 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 you need to be confident that, hey, I can go to my holler here, my hunting club, my national forest or something that I hunt, and I'm pretty confident I put my time in and I can kill a deer. If you can do that, you can go out of state and hunt and kill a mature deer. I'm pretty confident anybody. Daniel? What's your take? Man, pretty much the same thing uh, as far as as far as that goes. Just mainly because I've learned so much from him about going somewhere. He and he told me he's like, don't expect the greatest from your first trip, but learn from that. You know, it, it's not all about killing something your first time. It's 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 a lot about learning. Uh, learning new new things and you're you'll have fun at it if you've never traveled you will have fun at it if you if you give it a try awesome appreciate everybody joining us jeremy and uh daniel can't talk jeremy and daniel thank y'all so much for joining us and really give an awesome presentation hopefully this has inspired everybody to get out there and do an out-of-state hunt if you haven't already done some i've been doing it for a while now it's an absolute blast it's amazing what you can learn out of state that then when you come home can actually directly apply with where you're hunting at home even though you might have been hunting in the midwest so thank y'all for joining us and uh, we'll do a little meet and greet after this thank you